for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Y'all, our Elk Bros mailbox is about to overflow with questions. So tonight, we're going to take a quick break from our Elk Bros preseason guide and make tonight's show all about answering questions from you, our grinders. Now, don't worry. We'll be right back next week with our preseason series. But trust us when we say these are some questions you won't want to miss. Check out a list of tonight's topics. Night prospecting for bugles thermals and wind effects, elk decoys, their use and how we set them up, judging responses and making decisions, elk and blowdowns, can it ever be too much, hearing difficulties, wolves and thick timber, and the hard decisions about a hunting partner. Those elk bros topics, along with our elk bros shout outs. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And as always, for our blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from Katy, Texas, in the Dallas DFW area. That's right. We got the Venezuelan Mafia in the house. Mr. Luis Gonzalez and Manuel Graterón. And from Cimarron, New Mexico, our elk hunting coaches are in the house. Leroy the Ninja Chavez right. and Joe Gillia is in the house. What's going on, fellas? Man, talk about being politically proper. 
uh, on that introduction introduction man what the heck i what's, can't what's never up? win man, well, man you know it's just like introduction you know it's just like beto that's not you bro i mean you're, the very you're usually just up front to what you believe and what's right man what the heck Dude, I, I laid it down this evening just like oh, i man. just like i said none of the j what would j joe 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 joe's joe, not having it dude stuff, right? he not he not heck? liking it dude i can tell you every time i do it he tries to cut me off so i took the hint yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and probably probably hits the floor anyway so yeah. hey look man look what i'm displaying tonight bro what you got oh i got him a new t-shirt man oh yours on too don't you man show him how that yeah. works Look at that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I don't know if I could turn around. Yeah, Look at that, there you dude. go. Of course we you like can. It. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Got the elbow swag. That's right. Somebody got the memo. Cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm representing the NM here, man. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, you guys are all good, man. That's awesome. Yeah, so what Gilbert talking about the old WW thing, man. I, I I keep getting emails and stuff with all kinds of comments on that. <laughs> what what I, would I, Joe Gillia do? I think he said enough times it got stuck out there a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll bring it back. Don't worry. I'll bring it back. It'll come out just mm -hmm. at the right moment. Exactly. Speaking of our listening audience, man. Um, listen, audience, listeners, grinders. I'm talking to you directly. We are talking to you directly right now because um, I, I found an interesting fact today that uh, really felt special. And I don't know if you guys know this, but, you know, we're always asking people to give us ratings and asking them to give us a review, right? So I kind of took a look to see, you know, what is it? Like you can go on and you can click on a star to give people ratings, but you got to take time to type in a review to yeah. find do that. And so I kind of took a look and I went out to find out what the average was of percentages that people put actual reviews to ratings. And I went out there and I looked at 10 of the top, what I consider the bomb podcasts out there, really, really popular podcasts. And I looked at their percentages of ratings versus the number of reviews and most of those podcasts out there when i did all those together the average percentage came out to 16 percent. in other words for every 100 people give 16 reviews 16, right? yeah. mm -hmm. um, and, and that that means that people had to take time that they had to feel that it was something special to be able to do that and it doesn't say whether the reviews are good or bad reviews it just right. but it is a review yeah so i took a look at our reviews to our ratings and first of all i gotta thank everybody because <clears> i <throat> we have every single one of our ratings are five star except for two and like i said that's my sister and probably my wife <laughs> yeah and and then um with the average being 16 percent our percentage of reviews to ratings is 52 percent wow oh that's huge that's awesome brother 52%. that's impressive and and so appreciative of people actually taking the time to give us absolutely. good feedback absolutely man and and 
there's been so, so many kind things said. And look, we just asked for you to give us a review. I mean, if you think there's something we do, need to work on, you know, as Gilbert said, don't, <laughs> don't be mean, but uh, yeah. let us know. <laughs> You know, uh, but I just want to thank all of our listeners because this is about them. And when people say and send us things and say how much they're appreciative, it's that value. It's the fact that we know that what we're doing has value to you guys out there that really rings our bell and makes us feel that uh, what we're doing is something that is helping people out there. And it's, it's fulfilling for sure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely is. So we've got a lot of stuff tonight. Uh, Lots to cover. Yeah, anybody got any special news out there? We're going to move on. Oh, Manano, good, yeah, I just want everybody to know that Manano just invested about $1,000 in, in uh, microphone and, and cameras. And uh, I think I think he's probably going to have to send all that back because uh, – he no, did not. Like he did not take. He did not take the advice from from the pros, and uh, he's not wanting to copy uh, my perfectly fine microphone and and my ears and my camera. The, so, the intent. so uh, you can be my cameraman with that thing anytime, brother. Yeah, <laughs> put you in my hip pocket, babe. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 I will. Well, yeah. I'm sorry, we couldn't hear you very well. What, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Y'all had him in my hip pocket this year. He did pretty good. So you Do guys... you have your AirPods on as well? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Are you using the AirPods and not the microphone that you bought? No, no, no. I'm using my AirPods as, as the out output, but I'm using my oh. microphone. Oh yeah. Really close if you can hear me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, as you can see, these guys are in rare form tonight, but guys. <laughs> You know what time it is. It's time. Shout out. out. If you're new to our show, this is just a shout out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. And we're going to start out with those reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. The New Mexico Elk Nut, Eric Aragon from Las Cruces. Yes, sir. Paul Perky from Loveland, Colorado, and Mike Wilson from Ogden, Utah. Guys, thank you so much for your reviews. And guess what, y'all? We have tonight, we've got some video shout-outs. So, All right, man. Let's, let's do us a video shout-out. Morning, Mike Bozarth here. No, it's not Texas. It's Fayette, Idaho. Want to give a warm Elk Bros shout-out. The home of uh, Brisket and old T-Bones. He's way down there. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for you. I love your content. Hi, y'all. My name is Aaron Augustinelli, and I live in Hayden, Idaho, with my wife and three adorable children. Fun fact about Hayden that I just learned today was that in the late 1870s, the village received its name from a man named Matthew Hayden, a soldier from Fort Sherman who won the right to name the lake, and therefore the city, by winning a card game of 7-Up against fellow soldiers John Hager and John Hickey and some other homesteaders. Personally, I'm just glad that Mr. Hickey didn't win. Anyways, today's shout out is for Manano. Manano, I just want to tell you that voice calling for elk is not a fantasy, no matter what the other guys on the show tell you. Case in point, I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. No reed in the mouth, just the bugle tube, flexible.
like doing it. <laughs> it's good. Pretty solid, man. Good shout yeah. out for my dad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Get that, Luis. Get no, that. I get it, man. And you know what? The most beautiful part about this is that now that you know how to call, you can hunt on your own this year. And I'll just go with uh, with Joe. No, I'll, I'll go with call. Joe anyway. I'll go with Joe anyway. But I'm gonna be able to call the bull. I do not understand. Any how you guys just get Joe Dibs. I mean, yeah. what's up with that, dude? Hey, y'all, man. Y'all done learned how to call and everything. I think I'm going to go hunt with Joe first you out. Go. You know, I, it just it's not my decision, Beto. It's Joe's decision. <laughs> no, I'll follow you now. It's yeah. Joe's decision. Yeah, yeah. I, I bet I, you I, I can just, influence that. And you know me, man. I just follow orders, you know. So exactly. We're going to march to the same drummer, boy. That's right. <clears throat> you know, it, it, I, I thought it was hilarious when he says, you know, I'm just glad Mr. Hickey didn't because they're telling yeah. That would have been a horrible lake. Hickey lake. Great shout out. Thank you very much, brother. Appreciate yeah. it. That's actually pretty impressive how he can make those sounds, man. I'm yeah. like, well, I don't know that yeah. I can. Pretty you know, he's a master. Like if I did he's that, a master. I'd often for a week, the way he was yeah. sucking. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, his, I'm going to start trying. He's a master. And, and remember, guys, if you want to be a part of our special video shout outs, just get yourself <laughs> a 10 to 15 second video of yourself. And landscape view, tell us your name, where you're from, include a home of whatever line or something special about your hometown. And then you're going to send the video to us either as a message on our Elk Bros Instagram, or you can do it just like Aaron did. He emailed me that he had a video at joe at elkrose.com. I sent him a link to my Google Drive and he dropped it right in and we're good to go. Okay. So don't forget to say hello, Manano. This is for you, bro. You can call it bull without diaphragm. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. This is Yo, so sad. It's, it's so cool getting emails and shout outs from guys that are, you know, that listen to the show. I, I'm sitting here right now, and this guy won't even know this unless he listens to the show uh, right. next week. But a guy named Adam Messner just, I mean, just oh, yeah. emailed me and texted me. And he said, Your podcast openings are so fun, guys. Super likable, energetic, and engaging. Love y'all's energy. Keep it coming. Best, Adam. Adam, we appreciate that, man. Yeah. And you, I just got it. You just blew me up right here uh, on the Elbows Bros podcast. And uh, so I wanted to get a shout out to Mr. Adam. Thank you for all that, brother. Yeah, and Adam and the other guys, man, all of our uh, crew out there that are on our base camp, yeah. base camp subscription, you know, I've been dropping new content into the calling section on on painting with your elk calls as well. Check some of that content out. There's some pretty cool stuff going on there uh, that I think you guys will really appreciate, give you a good view of everything. So let's rock with the rest of these, man. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's get it started off. Looks like I'm first up. So let's see how long it takes for our Idaho listeners <clears throat> to figure out this week's top listening city. It's located in northwest Idaho and is known for its water sports on the lake named for the city. It's also known for the trails and in the Canfield Mountain Natural Area in the local national forest. In, in French, the first part of the city's names means the heart and the second part means all which is a sharp pointed tool used to piece uh, to pierce leather and if you ask anyone that lives there it's known as the playground of the pacific northwest and if you're from idaho you've guessed probably you've already guessed it 
in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I got a tricky one today, but... Luis, I just got a text from Chad Hashin today who sent, you know, that he has, you know, he was the first one to get you know, the swag, the new T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. He, he was like, he was like heck, man. Luis is slow. He's no longer backing you guys. You Chad, know? what the heck, bro? I yeah. thought we were cool, man. What's up with that, man? <laughs> and and, and yeah. he gave some news. He was like, I'm moving again. I was like, yeah, what? where? And he says, heading to Idaho. Wow. So, Where's he living now? Um, South Dakota. Oh, so, wow. wow. You know, oh, his life according to his hunting adventures, and he's like, I'm so into elk now, man. I had to move to an elk state, and he's heading to Idaho. And in Idaho, if you're a resident there, you you can hunt every year. So uh, that's cool, man. Yeah, it's awesome, man. So all the best on your move, man. Good luck on the hunting. Keep us posted. Yes. Yep. Find us a place to come hunt up there, man. We'll come <laughs> up there, shoot us some really good video. Yeah, he said definitely we won't be inviting Monano then. But um, so here's uh, for our Oregon faithful. Our next stop city is located 11 miles west of Portland, Oregon, in the Tualatine Valley. It's the home for the world headquarters of Nike. The Atfalati tribe and the Kalapuya people inhabited this area before settlers moved in. The native word Chakaipi meant place of the beaver. In fact, the early settlers called it Beaver Dam. Well, Oregonians, any idea? Uh, we're talking about Beaver Town, Oregon. Beaverton, Oregon. Beaverton, Oregon. <laughs> Beaverton. 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 <laughs> I, you know, man, I you you did the amazing with that because I was like, <laughs> I have no clue how to say all those things. Yeah. The only word I knew there was Nike. I just, I just, I just acted <clears throat> like I, I knew what I was pronouncing, Joe. I probably completely butchered him. And, no, you, you know, did good, but, uh, you know, I just, well, I just made it, made it look easy, it right? Good. Look, y'all, we never said that we were real good at all of this. We, but, uh, if we mess up a name, you know, just a disclaimer, we're trying our best and, <laughs> That's right. and you can, oh, actually, I actually had a listener send me a correction on what I've been saying is William Met over there on the west coast and oh man i'm trying to see how it oh it's it's like what's that it's not william it's willamette yeah well and he kind of said it more like how you willamette it was like uh kind of like somebody saying you know dang it willamette Yeah, it's not a William. You're right, Chaff. Yeah, thank Tracy for setting me straight. Up next, this top listening city is the capital of the state of Illinois. The most famous historic resident was Abraham Lincoln. So the area is just plumb chock full with museums honoring the 16th president of the United States. This is also the home of the mighty Horseshoe Burger. Y'all, mm. Horseshoe mm. Burger is double meat on a piece of toast smothered with french fries and cheese sauce oh, yeah. oh my god that made me so hungry so good <laughs> oh. 
Hey, we're gonna have that on Elk Bros uh, menu coming up oh, for Elk Camp. Man, oh, <laughs> we're gonna man. have the big mighty horseshoe burger, Manano. Oh, I bring the meat. So, in oh, Japan, man. some folks claim that this city is also the birthplace of the corn dog, which here is referred to as the cozy dog by locals. Cozy dog, and that's in Springfield, Illinois. Springfield, Illinois. Hey, isn't that hmm. the place uh, where they, uh, the, the, the Simpsons cartoon <laughs> takes place? Springfield? I don't know. I have no idea, man. Yeah. You live in that cartoon world. Yeah, man. <laughs> the Simpsons, man, they predict the future, man. They, they knew everything that happened in 2020. They knew it before it happened. They just bro. predicted it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we have kids. Our next top listening city has been in our radar at one time or another. This city is famous for Disney World and Universal Studios and annually attracts over 60 million visitors every year. It is a home to other, over 100 lakes. Lake Eola in the downtown area is actually a giant sinkhole and it's 80 feet at its deepest point, mm. known as the City Beautiful. Its name has an Italian roots and means famous throughout the land. This is going for Orlando, Florida. Man, that's super interesting. Have, have you been there, Manano? Yes, sir. Uh, any other uh, body, uh, water body types that you can talk about in, in this city? Yeah, the there, lakes are and bunch stuff like... of, there are a bunch of beach. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a beautiful beach. Beautiful, okay. long beach. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it's very cool. I was trying to figure out how he got Orlando, Florida, and there wasn't a single beach in there. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, well, that was just being nice. He gave me so many, so many beach. Last yeah. last podcast. Oh, you you're getting well. The last podcast we were talking about Vale. <laughs> Still. <laughs> okay. The this top listening city is part of the Providence, Rhode Island area, and sits on the Narragansett Bay. Within this city is Quonset Point, location of the former naval air station there, known for the invention of the Quonset Hut. This is also the proud home of the Atlantic Seabees, the Naval Mo the Naval Mobile Construction Battalion, and this is in North Kingston, Rhode Island. So, do you guys know what a Quonset hut is? No. I, if you've ever seen, I I was actually as a baby, my dad was in the Marines, and we lived in a Quonset hut. And the Quonset mm -hmm. hut is those uh, buildings that that look kind of like a half trash can in the ground. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of like the domes they they have in the movies where they have settlements in the other planets and stuff like that. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't. Yeah. Planet, but yeah, this like you know, it's like a giant fifty-five gallon drum, but huge and only half of it down. That's a Quonset hut. So everybody, um, we will continue next week with part eight of our Elk Bros preseason guide series. Elks. It'll be elk scouting focus goals and realities. And but and then the following week will be part nine. We'll give you a look at the gear and setups of the Elk Bros crew, how we roll. But for tonight, we have not been able to get to our Elk Bros mailbox. These things have been stacking up 
And there's so many cool questions here that tonight our goal is we're going to just answer these questions and, uh, and, and do this for you guys. Okay. And we'll get right back on it next week. So y'all let's go to the mailbox. Let's dig down deep and let's answer some questions. Chav, you're up first. Okay. Uh, this is from Tim from Canada and Drew uh, Sire from Birmingham, Alabama. They both had questions about trying to locate elk at night or as Drew called it, bugle prospecting. Uh, number one, how do you see? Do you use headlamps, red light, green light, or just the white light? And well, the second part. Let's, let's deal with that one, and then we'll go to the number two. And I think it's Sayer, Drew Sayer, because Drew's Sayer. Been, yeah, he's been sending some stuff from me. And we got some more questions from Drew. But when we got this, him and Tim had basically, it was amazing. These guys were asking the same question, basically. And uh, so when we go out, do we worry about red light, green light, or anything like that? What are, well, I think we – we have used the red light and green light in the past, but pretty much uh, we use our headlamps. And uh, I, you know, where we uh, where we walk, there's a lot of volcanic rock and and uh, it's pretty rough terrain. So I bought the brightest light you can possibly buy, and I just carry it in my hand. And you know, I I flash it, I carry it like this so I can see where I'm walking, mm -hmm. you know, down and in front of me. And whenever we do stop to bugle, and you know, we we all turn our lights off. Yep. So I, I don't know if that answered that question, but uh, we don't worry a whole lot about it. You know, of course you don't want to you don't want to have your headlamp on and just look all over the place. You yeah. know, you're sure to attract something. Yeah, absolutely, man. That that's that's our rule is once we stop, we turn everything off. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if you guys are like this, but when lights are out, it just seems like you hear better. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it gives you that feeling for sure. I know yes, what you mean. Yes. It, obviously, it's not the case, but it just feels like it. Because yeah, like, everybody kind of goes quiet because you stop moving. Without yeah, right. light, you can't see. You stop moving. Everything goes quiet. Yeah. And can't, can't concentrate on anything else except hearing something. Yeah. Right. The sound. But I, but I wanted to, I wanted to give a special story about the red light, man, because – Chav and I, we used to try the whole red light thing, figuring animals don't see it. And what we figured out is we don't see as well in it either. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and before GPSs, uh, well, actually, it was during GPSs. And one thing that I always liked to do was I would, I would get my GPS. I would get <clears throat> setting, like, we're, we're always out after dark, right, Chav? We're we stay till dark. And so we could be a mile, we could be two miles, we could be three miles from camp. And a lot of times I would go ahead and put the setting on my compass that my GPS, instead of wearing out the battery on the GPS. And so I'm looking at my compass. And of course, you know how the compass has one part of it that uh, uh, the needle, it has a light on it, uh, one side that's like white and the other side's not. And so I look at it and I set, and I set it to north and we start following and we're going and we're going and Jeff, after a while he's like, Joe, I think we should be going the other direction. I'm like, no, dude, man, I'm following the compass. It tells me north is this direction. Look, and we kept going and going, going. Chav's like, oh, man. And, and you guys know, like 
Chav is like majorly insistent. You hear him like interrupting us all the time, right? (laughs) 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 We stop and Chav goes, Joe, uh, I really think we're going the wrong way. (laughs) I'm like, oh, look, look at the the white. He likes to go in circles. (laughs) (laughs) Look at north, it's pointing in this direction. And then I turned off my red light and turned on my white light and come to find out that the red light turned the white. Red into white. Yeah. Yep. It turned red into white. And we were actually going the opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long walk. A <laughs> long walk. <laughs> you know, the only thing I was upset about is why Chav didn't speak up sooner. <laughs> <laughs> he was, yeah. he not was. like not not like he had already told you about three times. <laughs> uh, I got a little turned around. <laughs> I get um I get a little comment there with the red light and the green light and and this is not regarding elk hunting but you know probably need a nugget there for for pig hunting we love pig hunting at night and uh, one of the things that we've noticed that um, either the red light or the green light uh, I don't think the, the the animals in general see them I think what they see and uh, Monano yeah. you know it, it's the shadow that it generates so it seems like depends depending on how bright that light is that you're shining at them and how much of a shadow it creates that shadow just kind of freaks them out they see their own shadow and they know something's up so it's not the actual color of the light is actually the shadow that it generates and so that's something that kind of we've found out and super interesting but uh yeah we use we use green and red light um to to approach setups and and leaf setups uh for when we're pig hunting and i don't i use white so logan and i walked in there 25 yards away from about 40 pigs and he and when he killed his south texas slam he shot that pig with a white light on him and uh and the week before he we walked in on some pigs in the hole and turned the big bright light on them i mean that light logan's got dang it's a lot of candle power and when he lit them up they didn't even budge i mean yeah he, he hit all of them and they didn't even budge and i was like all right man especially when there's a big group of them and they're distracted yeah. chasing yeah. each other and eating and fighting for the food that's yeah. usually the case but if you get like a big boar coming in by themselves that big shadow will scare them and so the oh, best yeah. thing to do is actually shine the light all the way up in the sky and just bring slowly slowly, slowly bring that aura of that of that light just slowly into the target until you actually have them center in it. And so yeah, it, and Joe and I, when we've done night bugling before, you know, we usually, we either walk out of camp and do it and, and generally can see where we're going. Uh, or we, you know, ride the bike a little ways and, you know, then get out and let things calm down. And so we're not real far away from our vehicle or from where we Some- some no. nights also has good good moonlight as well, which helps you know with what you just said. The moonlit nights are the best. The, the only thing yeah. you got to be careful of is those shadows and stuff that when you get in the trees, mm-hmm. and got to be careful of getting stuck in the eye by a branch or something like that. Yeah, yeah good idea to wear your PP and E when you're out moving around in the dark. You know, the thing I was going to tell you about the green light, red light, though, Luis, is I don't know if you've ever had one shined at you, but it's like the light is green until it shines directly in your eyes. And that's definitely brighter in the middle. 
It's like yeah. a difference. So yeah. I don't yeah. know if when you point something at an animal, if, if that wouldn't alert them or not, because it's definitely something a little bit different than the rest of the beam. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. and the, the second part of the question, um, I think we pretty much answered, Chad, wouldn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Uh-huh. Yeah, because that what well, read the second. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, we did. We do turn our lights off when we start yeah. sending out our yeah. location calls. Yeah, so I think that pretty much covered. I think people are real interested about when we go out um, night bugling. They're, they're wondering, and and you guys got to remember when we go out night bugling, it's not like we're on this bare mountain walking around. We're generally in trees, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. or up on a ridge that's tree covered, or mm -hmm. um, or we're on a road with trees on the sides. So it's it's real hard anyway for something to see you unless it's pretty doggone close. And and we're going to be hearing sounds from down in the bottoms. We're not going to nest. Well, not always, but a lot of times mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, next up, and coming from a guy who really knows how to recognize a true leader, Mr. Scott Baker from Parker, Colorado. Um, and Scott is asking, could you explain how the thermals work in the morning, midday, and afternoon? Also, how a breeze can affect them as well. And I think that's one of the, the things that people don't understand, that people understand wind but they have a difficulty understanding. I, I, I am one. I still struggle with the concept. I mean, so and, cold and, air falls as the heat yeah. rises, right? So if you take a, a package of dry ice and put it on a table and watch that stuff come off, when that cold air hits, it'll go straight to the floor. And that's exactly the way the thermals are represented in the morning is that you've got everything that's, you know, heat, warm air rises and that cold air falls. So the thermals will be going down, you know what I'm saying, early in the morning and coming up as the, as the day warms up, it will shift and move everything up the mountain as the day warms. It's just like, yeah, like you said, like a hot air balloon. As the air starts yeah. to warm up, it's going to start to rise. The only thing that... And, the only thing I like to tell people, though, is it's kind of like I talk about the rut. You know, I say the rut isn't a, a regional occurrence. Right. It can happen wherever there's a hot cow. There's the rut and the <clears throat> a rut, right? Well, it's the right. same thing with thermals in that if you think about it, the way the sun comes up, one side of a canyon on the southern exposure is going to have its thermals start going up sooner then over on the north side. It's going That's to stay right. cooler on the north side longer. Yep. So where those thermals are actually falling, but while they're going up in another area, or yep. there could be an area that's treed, that's not getting as much sun versus an open area with rocks. And as those rocks get sun, I mean, you can feel it. Here's, here's the thing about being out West y'all. Uh, it, that's so different from back East is I can, I can be at home in South Carolina and if it is 80 degrees and it's hot, it's just friggin' hot. It's like being in Wichita Falls. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from it. But in, in the West, it could be 80 degrees in the sunlight, and you could go into the shade of the tree, 60. and it could be 15 degrees cooler. Mm, yep. <clears throat> right? 100%. So, yes, sir. Yeah. So – 
here's the thing. Let's say you have a cool creek going through an area that's got trees in it. You could have you could have sides going up on a ridge on both sides of that creek. One side, if it's sun hit, is going to start moving up that hill. And as soon as it warms up, yeah. if it's not, is going to hold steady. But in that creek area that's cool, it's going to keep falling down. Falling down. Yeah. Yeah. That creek. Yeah. So, well, go ahead, Luis. Yeah, one of the things that, um, you know, the reason why I get confused with that a little bit is because I guess I'm trying to associate um, the directions of the thermals based on the time of day. And I think that approach can lead you wrong depending on temperatures. Absolutely true. Yes. Sure. So, so, so what's Cold happening? Air falls all the time. Yeah, but so what happens is like I'm thinking. Well, in the morning the sun is rising and thus the thermals should be going up, but that's not necessarily true if the no, air okay. is actually not warming up enough that's for right. that to happen. Right. Or in the morning, you know, the air may be actually heating up super quick. And then actually you got thermals uh, moving up, oh, which, okay. which happens a lot for us uh, here where we hunt. You know, yeah. When we get up really early in the morning and we get up on that tree stand, at first light, we see thermals. We, we feel the thermals rising right mm. away. Oh. And so that's why normally, like you said, okay, normally one would associate thermals going down in the morning and start and go up as the day progresses. <laughs> but may may not be the case because it depends on how quickly it warms. So I guess not associating it with a time of the day probably helps just to kind of associate it more with actual temperature. So you can in my, really, in my mind. You can really see it when we're tree stand hunting in the morning. Yes. It it right at daylight Mm-hmm. the temperature gets the coldest and it's because that cold air is falling from above you and it just sits right on top of you and it's cold and you can actually blow your breath out and watch it fall. I mean, it'll go down instead of blow up into the air. Right. See, for me, I've, I, I normally see it the other way around and the, and the, when it's not too cold and as soon as the sun starts coming, right. like when I sit on the, on our tree stand, I, right away as soon as i see i i see i there's enough light for me to see yep the actual enough my breath it's usually going up right early in the morning so i'm thinking it just warms up quicker generally that's because of a lot of times because of like joe in this other part of the question it's about wind too you'll have a prevailing wind in the morning and that'll carry you that'll carry that up or down as well but as soon as that sun makes a crack it's making a difference in the thermals. Yeah. Right? And, and to your point, Beto, not only wind, but also I think what's surrounding, are you in a, inside of a canopy? Are mm-hmm. you out in the open field? Yeah. I mean, that may have some effect to it. I, I'm not sure. What do you think, Joe? Is that a true fact that what I just. <laughs> it's out in the field where it's flat and it gets the sun. You can actually see. Oh, there you go. Gotcha. Your eyes it heats up quicker. Quicker. Sure. Yeah. Well, in, 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 in yeah. in the in the morning times in the mountains, the higher elevation you go, the colder it is. So that air is falling the whole time in the mornings, right? And as soon as that air starts warming up, it starts making a shift. 
Got it. See, and it'll start rising as the sun comes up and warms everything up. You know, before you get to ten o'clock, you got the thermals headed back up the mountain, and that's why the that's why the elk want to go that way because they can go up there in bed, and then the the thermals are carrying that scent to them, so they're protected in that way. That's exactly right. They're they're they like being uh, in an area. And I don't want to say bottoms because sometimes elk will come from the side of a mesa and go up on top. But uh, generally, when they do that and they go up on top, there's nothing around the sides. It's all about it's all about survival and defense, right? Safety for so them, yeah. Where they can see, they're probably utilizing the wind before they go in any place. But they are using the thermals and the wind the best they can, and they are mastered at it because that's what they do. Now, when you talked about wind, the thing that I try to tell people is when you think about a thermal, if we just took a plain thermal like Gilbert was talking about, if I'm up on a hill and I have an elk directly below me, right? If I have an elk directly below me with – and you can actually, on a mountain in the evening, you can feel the cool air coming down the hill. You can actually – feel it man Dolls on you. Mm-hmm. but as it's going if there is a breeze if there's a breeze as it's going down and that breeze is coming from my left side going to my right then it's going to bend that thermal will. So something is down directly down below me and i've got thermals falling and that breeze is coming from my left to my right it is going ah. to bend that thermal it's going to take my scent to the right, because that heavy air is falling, but it's being bent. Ah, that's super interesting, Joe. As you're explaining that, I'm imagining uh, somebody playing pool on a pool table. Yeah. And then you have you have two balls going in this in the you know going to clash against each other, and they just kind of both deflect and go in that direction. So the forces encounter each other, and then they get deflected to yeah. the, the prevalent one, I guess. Yeah, it, it's, it bends it, bends it. It's the path like of least resistance. It's both airs. So what yeah. I was is not only pay attention to the thermals. Thermals are huge to pay attention to, but you can also beat thermals. And a good example is if, like I said, it can be uh, if if it's going up on the south side, you have an elk up there on the ridge. Well, shoot, you could stay over on that north side a little bit and go around Damn. and get around to it so that you can then get on the same level. Or you could actually, if there's a creek going through the middle, you could get down in the coolness of the river because yeah, it's, it's rolling down. It's going to roll down, man. And you could actually ease up, up on him from the bottom position. Right. Even though you got, once you get out on the flats or up there on the side where the sun's hitting, those are rising up. So, there's different situations. If you have snow on the ground on the north oh, side, man. it's going to keep those going down. Damn. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, just think about what Cold is air falls. the air, what is warming the air. An area to a southern exposure is going to warm and rise faster than an area on a northern exposure. Okay? So that's, that's right. something for you to remember. That was a great question. Yep. Yeah. So it's a really good question. In midday, so when you take a look at it, in the morning, generally it should be rising, okay? But elk start to go up while they still have thermals in their favor before they actually make that switch. So they're really good at feeling that barometric pressure, feeling that coldness, knowing how long they can stay down, and they'll make their, they'll make their move going up, and they'll be in position by the time those thermals start to change and come up to them so now they're in defensive position 
and they start doing the same thing in the afternoon, man. Yeah, They're totally. going to come down with the thermals in their nose, yeah. knowing that by the time they get down to an area that is going to shift and be coming down them uh, to them and help them out defensively. In the right. midday, most of the time those thermals are coming up in the midday, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. that it, it And they kind of get a little steadier. You know, anytime you have changes from one to the other, you know, like it can be really, really calm in the morning. And then as things start to heat up and you got some areas heating and some areas cooling, think about what that does to the wind yeah. in the world, right? And yeah. then once it all starts to cool again, it kind of calms everything down. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. It makes sense, yeah. Yeah, excellent question. Okay. We have another question from Mr. Ed Norris from Louisville, Kentucky. He said, what are your thoughts, opinion, experience with using L decoys? In particular, the fold-up or umbrella type for backcountry backpacking hunts, similar to Montana or killer gear. Do you typically use a cow or bull? And full side view or types looking ahead or rump type. What are your typical setups? So in this group, there <laughs> there is someone that tried to pop up one of those <laughs> decoys in front of the big old bull. So <laughs> do you remember that, Joe? Yeah. Joe, Joe, Joe was at front and then. Uh, he goes like, freeze. <laughs> and, and that person, I don't want to say a name, <laughs> behind Joe. <laughs> and and he, he was on his knee. Well, it was Beto. <laughs> you said you weren't going to say his name. Yeah, 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 yeah. I appreciate that, Manano. Hey, there you go, <laughs> Beto. So you know how to make the introduction next time. Yeah. Well, he killed me several times he killed, <laughs> with that introduction before. Well, guess guess what? Beto was on, on his knees, and then he got the backpack at front. Well, he wasn't on his back, and then he tried to pull the decoy out of the backpack. That thing unwinded when, on as me. Soon as, he, <laughs> as soon as he tried, the pop <laughs> decoy went like boom. <laughs> the elk jumped. <laughs> thing thing popped up like a freaking auto tent, man. Just yeah. like, blue. like whack-a-mole. Like a whack-a-mole. Boom. <laughs> yeah. I think the decoys are a really good uh resource and then a really good uh uh tools, but you have to be careful when, when you open it up. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if and let's break this down a little bit, man. Um, yeah, let's it's a lot to the question. Using elk decoys. And and we'll tell you, Ed. I um, think they're awesome. Them, um, we've used different kinds. Yeah. We've used the Montanas that are the side view. Um, uh, and we, uh, I've used multiple different ones. and But my favorite one to use um, is the Ultimate Predator. Yeah. And and the reason I like the Ultimate Predator is it actually mounts on the front of your bow with a shoot-through window, and it gives you control as a shooter of that decoy. Uh, we have, <laughs> and I, I mean, 
we had spooked we had spooked a group of elk and still were able to use that decoy and walk up and get them to come back to us yeah so yeah. they couldn't we we boogered them and then they saw that thing and they were like oh my god man, that's, that's, that's a cow over there. We're going to go find her out. And then of course, you know, we were painting the picture. We were doing really good painting the picture with the cow calling and stuff like that. And, uh, it, man, it was amazing. The, the response that we got that. And then I called a bull back seven times for Brendan this year and he had it on his bow and that bull, every time he came back, he was focused you know, on that, we would freak Brendan out because he couldn't he couldn't draw because the bull was looking at him. But you know, um, at the end of the day, I said, "Look, man, this is what we want." I mean, that bull sees that decoy; and he comes back every time. And uh, but what I will tell you guys is how many how many not, trees do you think died in the process? If, of, if you uh, have you not know. shot with your decoy on your bow. <laughs> Please make sure before you go oh, afield, <laughs> please make sure go before you go afield to shoot with it on your bow. This Otherwise, is the kind of advice that you would see in the academy is like Chav's words of wisdom. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, man, my partner, I did a great job <laughs> of calling these bulls back after we boogered them. And my partner here, that's uh, the best elk calling coach in the world, uh, he will have to agree. We got him to roll back in there within, I don't know, 25 or 30 yards. I mean, it's slam dunk, right? And uh, Joe draws back and just slams an aspen. Shabang! It's like 30 feet to the right of that bull. And I'm like, I looked at Joe and I'm like, what in you're the world, world, bro? You're not embellishing <laughs> at all, right? Huh? What? 30 feet to the right. <laughs> it's 10 yards to the right. I mean, the bull's <laughs> at least 10 yards long. I mean, golly. I'm like, I looked at, I, looked at you. I thought maybe Chav had shot or somebody shot before we shot. I'm like, what is going on here? I look at him and Man, dude, he never said a word. Just reached up there like cool hand Luke, son. Got him another <laughs> arrow. And we here, here, here. We call him back. These goobers come rolling back. And let me tell you something. You don't give Joe a second shot. We all know how that is. He then figured that little window out. And he ventilated that son. <laughs> and uh, we watched him fall within sight. It was a glorious day for all to be. Yeah. The thing I want to tell you about decoy you'd have never been able to do that had they not been fixated on that decoy huh joe oh no not at all man in fact i think what happened really too was <laughs> what happened really uh is <laughs> when the elk first came in they came into 20 yards and again because i had not practiced with it you know broke my own rules when i went to draw back i i drew back and the decoy actually as in the drawing motion came up really quick yeah. and, and it boogered yeah. and it started yeah. to run and i cow called and then they stopped at 30 yards yeah. and at 30 yards the bull was stopped so that his kill was open his head was like behind a, an aspen there so the aspen was about i don't know it was about 12 13 inches to the left and uh, <laughs> Not 10 feet, and I drew back. 
down the other way, my I shot my arrow to the left because I'm when you see two images, oh yeah, I hadn't seen oh, it in the window, and I'm looking at the wrong image, so my arrow was actually shooting left, and when it does, like. I was as surprised as anybody. I turned around and I could see Chav and Gilbert looking at me like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, man. <laughs> that hey, just so, so we had a tree monkey jump up and catch the arrow, man. <laughs> it was crazy. So, Joe, do you, so you think Beto's exaggerating with the distances there? No, no doubt. I, it, Joe's telling it right. Joe's telling. I'm thinking he shot to the right, but I'm now I'm remembering he did. He shot yeah a little further to the left. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah you're so kill, nice. Let Beto. me tell you something though. From the kill zone to where Joe shot is daggum good eight feet. Okay, it wasn't no, it wasn't no twelve inches. So in a way, you're both right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Dude, I'm going to tell you right now, not only were the bulls, like, surprised that, man, one of us didn't die because we're stupid, but the – I mean, <laughs> both me and Chav almost fell over. We were like, you could have knocked us over with a feather. I'm like, what in the world was that? But I'm telling you, bro, I hunt with the baddest man on the planet. He just got him another bullet and loaded, and uh, we we made a few little here, here, here. Come back here now. Look at this decoy. And they sealed, were sealed a deal. They were so, goobers, man. They just kept rolling back up in there, and then, poop, turn broadside. Joe sent it, boy. I mean, so in a, what was crazy. Go ahead. What was, what was crazy about the whole situation was that decoy really calmed him down because even after Joe got the second shot and killed it, and it fell just what forty yards yeah. in front of us. Yeah, another elk just stayed there the whole time and yeah, was actually open. you know I thought Gilbert might get a shot at it. You know, it stayed around fifty sixty yards just feeding and he was relaxed. You know, and that was kind of a weird situation. You know, I don't know if he saw his, his buddy. You know, die. <laughs> Probably yeah. not. It's been but hard not around. to. Yeah, he hung yeah. around. You know, the call call the decoy kind of did a job. Yeah, really. Yeah, good. I, I like uh, like Chav said. I think it calms them down. You know, they they see and then, you know, Brendan and Joe have added this little ear flicker with that thing too. And man, that really we call those bulls. That's the second time that that's happened to me and Joe and. This year, when we were just kind of out scouting, we run up into a group of bulls, and neither one, he and I, I'm running a camera, he's running the decoy, and he's like, go ahead, take the shot. I'm like, bro, I'm running the camera. <laughs> you know, ain't none of us ready to shoot. And he's like, I've been holding this decoy for 20 minutes, man. There's no way I'm dragging this bow back. So, I mean, <laughs> But those bulls had left, and we called them back again, you yep. know. But it was the decoy that did it. I'm – and, uh, you know, there's no doubt two years ago when I killed my bull, that bull come rolling uphill and seen that decoy. Uh, and that was Katie bar the door. He knew there was a cow up there and he was coming where their hair lipped the governor. And uh, that's exactly what happened. He <laughs> rolled up, he rolled up that hill, fixated on that, on that uh, decoy that was over there. And it was over, man. He I, I want to tell you though, some things about decoys is that look, your decoy is only as good as its accessibility. In other mm. words, if yeah. your decoy is hard to pack and hard to carry, you're not going to use it yeah. because it takes too much time. So we like to use a decoy <clears throat> and utilize it quick. Um, uh, 
you know, the Montana, we've used the Montana with the stakes where it sticks in the ground, but that's in a static setting. Yeah, it has to be a yeah. setup, man. Yeah. You know, you're going to be using that's got a blind or something like that. Mm -hmm. where you them in. Otherwise, if you're being dynamic or if you're on the move, it's got to be something that, hey, in this situation, if I need it, boom, I've got it. So mm -hmm. um, you can do that with a Montana, the side ones, the butt ones, whichever you want to use. Now, here's the thing I'll tell you about those. So the theory is, is when an elk sees a butt decoy, that bull elk like to come around and look in the eyes. So they say that when you have a butt decoy, that they will try to circle to the side and give you a broadside shot because they're going to try to come around and look at the cow from the front. I've never experienced that. I've only heard this from other guys that I've talked to. Now, I do know for a fact, though, that a lot of times when you do use a decoy, a lot of times it seems like all you're going to have is a frontal, okay? Well, if you're patient on that, a bull is going to turn to come around and check you. He is going to do it, man. Or if you even booger, if you draw and booger him, I, I tell everybody this all the time. Elk have a fatal flaw. They always stop broadside to look back, man. They don't stop facing away. They're not going to stop facing you. They're going to stop broadside, and they're going to turn and look so that if it's danger, they're going to check it, and then they're going to take off. So you're going to get an opportunity. Now You've got to draw, though. You've you got to you got to draw. And it doesn't matter if the bull boogers. You yep. got to draw because once you get drawn and he stops, then it's case of Ross or Rob. Well, I mean, you can get it done, but you never draw. You just going to watch him run out there and go, Oh man, he just run out there and stopped again. Well, yeah. I mean, you're standing there, you know, with your bow in your hand and uh, not doing your job. Draw yeah. the bow. I'm telling you, if you booger an animal, draw. Give it a cow call. It's going to stop. It's going to give you a shot. It's going to be quick, but it's going to be plenty of it as, as far as time to get that out That's there. Right. And right, the, where we like to, when we put our decoy together, we like to stick it between our back and our backpack. That mm -hmm. way it rides in there. If we ever need it, we just go and pull it out and we have it right away. And when you talk about the different kinds, so the Montana, we've used the side one. And now if we use the full side, it's generally in a partner setup because as a solo guy, it's impossible for me to use that and to get a shot. Okay. So, but what I like to do is if I have it set up with a partner, I don't pop. And this is where Gilbert's when he popped that thing out and the whole thing showed up to that bull. It was like, where the heck did that come from? He took exactly. off. He freaked him out. I just like to show a part of that animal, like movement, give it a little bit of movement from coming out from behind a tree or something like that. And that is about all you need. They see that and then they see that part of the animal and here they come. Now, he talks about killer gear, guys. And I actually have a killer gear turkey decoy. I haven't used the new killer gear gear elk decoy but basically um it is a umbrella system that umbrellas out and pops out and the head is up above and you can kind of straighten the ears out but the cool thing about it is it's very big almost like a blind and you can actually set that out so that if you are solo it stakes and it stays in position and what i mean by stake is on the handle of the umbrella there's a little pin that comes out and you yeah. can actually stick it in the ground you and keep that 
right there. So now you're free to draw behind that as a solo, or you can use it. It's fairly lightweight. It's a little bit more cumbersome to carry because it's, it's a long deal and you have to kind of strap it to your pack. Now that means if you're going to use it, you got to take your pack off undo clips and get it out. Whereas what I love about the ultimate predator, man, is that I become the elk. I have an arrow through, it covers your draw on turkeys. It covers your draw. I, I have a buddy of mine, um, that just shows me a video of him with a Tom Turkey in front using the ultimate predator Turkey um, decoy on the front with a shoot through window he draws and shoots that bird and that bird never knows he even draws it's unbelievable man it's just it's just super and the good thing is when those when we boogered those elk that time chav how how, how soon do you think i had a decoy on my bow oh you put it up pretty quick because they're they they on us pretty quick yeah. yeah and the whole thing with that uh, you know going back to that same uh, scenario you know, Gilbert and I were in the wide open. We were just kneeling down, and there was no cover at all. Right. And they never even looked at us. Yeah, they just looked at the decoy, right? Yeah, that's right. And you were, and you were able to reload real quick, with, yeah, well. you know, still without, uh, you know. So, so we got a cow. Um, you can use a side view, but with the ultimate, we prefer the front view. Um, and a typical setup. If you're doing an actual static setup, then that's going to depend. It's going to be a person up front, and then the person calling in the back can show a decoy to pull them back. Because we did that with a buddy of ours also one time. Uh, we had Larry Gill set up, and I, I pulled a bull just like Gilbert, just like what we did with you, except for I actually had the bull in my hands. And, you know, once that bull came out and saw it, and I'm up on the side of the hill, Larry's down in front. He's off to the side. That bull comes and walks by him at 12 yards, yeah. just looking at that decoy up there. So uh, it, I think it's great, you know. So that's a, a typical setup is a situation in a partner where you're going to have your partner go between you and the bull and a little bit to the downwind side. And then you up on the top, you're going to be able to show that decoy as that bull comes out and looks because he's going to look because he wants a visual. As he looks, you're showing that decoy and you, it doesn't have to be the full decoy. It can be part of it. And you can even give a little bit of movement. And we have found out if you ever do any kind of ear twitch on that, that no. really sells it. It really sells it. It sure does. Next question is from Drew Sayer, Gilbert. I think he's good. you got him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Drew Sayer from Birmingham, Alabama, says, my question, uh, my second question is about near to far locating, realizing that topography, time of the day, and other factors can affect this. How far do you think a cow call uh, with and without a bugle tube typically carries? In other words, if you get a response from a soft cow call, are you more likely to find a good setup right there, or are you still cutting the distance? Um, side note is I've had I have some hearing loss, and that makes it hard to gauge the direction and distance of the sound. <clears throat> Looking into hearing aids and other devices. Uh, by the way, he says, but I had some bugle responses to cow calls last year while hunting solo and struggled with the decision on whether to go in the direction mm -hmm. I thought the call came from versus setting up right there in that spot. So, so a good think, question. 
I think it's yeah. number one is how far does the sounds carry in relation to when you get a response, what should you do with that accordingly? So, yeah. Yeah. Anybody else Look, have at this first? Sure. I mean, for me, if you can hear a bull uh, and, you know, you've made a really light sound with your call, like a real soft, he's close. You know, he's, uh, he heard that and, you know, you're probably, I think you, for me, I think, you know, a real light cow sound, they can hear it a couple hundred yards away, you know, and depending on the wind and the trees and, and stuff like that, where you're at. But for me, if you get a response from a bull, generally they're within 400 yards of you. And then it's about cutting the distance down and uh you know whether you know how far he is or not uh unless he's screaming in your face <laughs> you know i'm i'm moving i'm cutting the distance down you know uh, but that's just me we're aggressive uh, joe and i both are super aggressive getting in the middle of them uh and if they you know trying to keep them talking trying to keep them coming um so yeah, if I hear if I'm softly cow calling and I get one to roll up, he's probably pretty close. But I'm still going to try to make a move in the middle of him. Now, if he's insistently making more and more bugles, and you know he's getting closer, well, might as well get your setup ready because he's fixing to get in your lap. Chad, what about you? Yeah, I think you know, like Gilbert mentioned, uh, you know, if it's a, if you make a pretty soft cow call and and you get a reply. You know, they got to be pretty darn close. You know, they're not on the other side of a ridge. You know, they're they're on that same ridge you're on, or, and probably within a couple of hundred yards. You know, they have better ears than we do, obviously. So you know, they can hear a, a little bit longer distance. So they may be a little bit further away than you think, but still pretty close. You know, you have to really think think about the situation as a whole. And if it's super windy. If it's super windy and you get one to That's, blow up, he's right on you. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, because – and, right. and that's a good point because early morning, when it's good and cold and still, and I call into features. I like to call into bowls and stuff like yeah. that. You can hear a bowl. They can hear you quite a ways off, man. And it could still be a half mile off in that situation <laughs> early, early morning. But – um one thing I'll tell you is that to me, if I give a soft cow call and a bull sounds off and I think he's within 200 yards, to me, the setup, having a quality setup with shooting lanes is sometimes more important than just getting on them. So if I don't, if I'm in a situation where I'm, I don't have a good setup and I need to move closer to do that, I will. If I'm moving closer and I give another cow call and he's either staying or moving closer, man, I'm looking for shooting lanes. I'm looking, I'm looking around to the, for the best situation. I'm looking around at topography because if I'm in a situation where that bull is off and he's, he's kind of coming up on something where he's going to come up and, you know, before uh, he can see anything, he's going to be in my shooting. Well, I want to be there instead of getting to the edge of that and making a sound where he can be at the bottom looking up and going, well, I should see you. So you got to kind of take in yeah. 
all of the situation if it's a thick thick area like gilbert's talking about like we hunt in sometimes shoot we'll get up me and chavo got up on animals that they're like on the other side of scrub oak from us man mm, they're not yeah. 20 yards away and we're still making a move on them trying to pick shooting lanes and then call them by us so we've actually been real aggressive in that situation you, ha you have to consider those factors yeah you know consider your terrain consider the time of day so that you know how close because when you say that you have a hard time um hearing so do i so here's mm -hmm. my gauge if i hear them well they're close and i'm yeah. looking for a setup now if i'm with manano and luis because you can ask those guys man so when we hear a call I'm I'm looking at you guys immediately, and what are you doing for me? Telling me how far. We, we yeah. tell you yeah. direction, like direction, and distance. <laughs> yeah. And then start arguing with because he was like 300 yards. He was like a mile away. <laughs> Sometimes that only means I have better hearing than you. I can, I can tell you all this too. When you hunt with Joe Julia. And it's that part of the day that's just about over with. And you've been that 12 miles and you hear that bugle a mile away. Oh Hell God. no, I ain't heard no bugle. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> We're like, you hear a bugle? Uh-uh. I ain't uh -uh. heard nothing. I, no, I've had reds 10 times, Joe. We're going to let him stay the night. Here, we'll come back to him tomorrow. But I turn around and I ask him this, <laughs> this kind of points this way and, and Monado kind of points this way. I just go in the middle. No, that's a great question. I mean, for me, just can't get an aggressive enough, man. I, you know, when you're calling and stuff like that, I mean, a lot of times these bulls will have cows and they'll kind of hang up on you, you know? So, um, and you know, once the cows start getting a little nervous and stuff like that, they'll kind of shut up because they don't want to call another bull in, you know? So you need to kind of cut your distance, especially if they get quiet on you. You got to read the type of bull you have, man. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you're going to have to put the Mohican sneaking on a man. And, Definitely. You know, just shut up and let them, you know, kind of listen for those noises that they have and get in. But, but I, th I think to his point, you know, if, if he's talking about, okay, so if I'm hearing a cow, you know, if you're hearing a cow, they're close. And at that point, I, you know, if you can't see them, I would just uh, try to set up at that point and then kind of understand where they are. Because if you're hearing a cow, chances are there are more close by and, and you just can't see them yet, right? So you don't want to blow something up. Grinders tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. 
This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Basecamp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. So, this crew, if I give a cow call with my mouth and I get a response that sounds fairly close, yeah. buddy, I'm looking for setup. So, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's and that's my point right there. It's just like yeah. they're close. You don't want to blow something up. You want no, to get yourself yeah. you set up. Go ahead and set yourself up and give you <clears> in the bucket. If I give a cow call with my voice and I don't get a response, and then I give a cow call through my tube and I get a response at a distance, mm-hmm. then I'm most likely going to cut that. Cut a lot of times, sometimes, though, I'll start to cut it, and I'm listening while I'm doing mm-hmm. it, trying to see if he sounds off again, or maybe give another cow call to see if he's closer or if he's farther away. And that tells me, now do I need to put it in gear to cut yeah. that? And it depends on time of day. If it's early morning and he's like, going away up a hill i know they're going to a destination i know they're going to bed so i got to get ready to move man if uh, if it's in uh the afternoon you know midday and i have one then it's different because they're bedded and they're just kind of moseying and going to probably come into me so you just got to read all of the different things to put it together yeah yep his second part of his question joe says my last question is about blowdown and deadfall he said do you think there's a point at which even the elk start avoiding areas due to blowdowns he said i was in an area last year that just looked primo on e-scouting difficult to access good distance from hiking trails it has water and meadows dark timber nice benches and everything he said but it was riddled with blowdown and i didn't I didn't see any remotely recent elk sign in that entire area. Well, he, you know, he answered his, his question. Yeah. <laughs> they either there or they ain't, brother. Yeah. I don't think the blowdowns make them one way or the other. No. What wasn't there was food because they're slaves to their bellies. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and there's a reason that they're not there at that point in time. Yeah. And, you know. And that can change from one day to another, one week to another. Can because they're nomadic as egg, Louise, for sure. Like that, man. Yeah. Uh, we hunted with Larry Gill, a buddy of ours, hunted, you know, this one area where we were at, and <clears throat> we went everywhere for five days. And, and that, we didn't stay in one place when we did it, we did different areas. But I'm we sure that one area at the beginning, not a, not a track, nothing, right? 
kept moving around trying to locate elk. On the last evening of the hunt, I told Larry, man, we're going to go back to the first spot we went. It went from being church mouse quiet to a daggum blowing up, you know, because mm-hmm. it just happened that way. They came into the area, and, and you got to remember, elk can move 10 miles in no time. Yeah. Well, I mean, last last year, Joe, I mean, we, you know, we had some sign, but nothing, nothing super strong in some areas. Right. But then, you know, we had this huge herd come through and we didn't see the herd. Manano and I, that was the day Manano and I uh, kind of went on our own and you guys you know, went the other way and you guys saw the herd wa- go through. We didn't, but we were kind of behind. And then Manano and I are looking at just the sign everywhere. I mean, it's just, it was unbelievable. Manano and I was like, oh my God, what is this? It's just, they're everywhere. And, yeah. uh, and then when yeah. we finally met uh, at camp, we you guys like- told us, you guys saw, we saw 300 head of elk. <laughs> and uh, we're, like, we're like, what? And it's like, yeah, we saw oh, all the man. signs. So in a place where... You know, we didn't have sign before, so it was crazy. I, I think it was backward. We, we started to tell, "Hey, we saw tracks and and yeah, drops yeah. and and, yeah. and yeah. So, I mean, so many signs and and, and we and, saw and the elk." And, and Joe was like, "And we saw the entire herd." Yeah, we saw the entire herd. That's right. That's well, right. And, and to that fact too, it worked the opposite way. We are in all kinds of elk one day go back to that area the next day nothing i mean we traveled miles man no and way. we didn't see nothing in there that they was crazy right one more ridge over you know okay. so uh it's it's just uh i do not think it's the deadfall because elk will go into deadfall areas and they'll use that as defense especially those bulls they'll bed down in some of those places and when I go moving through deadfall, Drew, I'm looking for um, elk trails that move in and out. I just don't go in and start climbing over deadfall. I like to go around the perimeter. Not true. Not true. And what? We've been to the thickest, <laughs> yeah, hardest trap you can ever two. imagine. No. He is just no, plain out it. lying, and you shouldn't yeah. be doing this, Joe. You're laughing. No, I ain't too. seen hard. Yeah. <laughs> Jab and I can take you to a deadfall forest that'll make you wish you'll you'll go the same 1.8 miles for the next 10 miles. <laughs> I'm serious. It's like it's the we call it the deadfall forest because there's. I've never in my life seen so much blow down stuff. You got to step over. I was so wore out. I, I, my teeth hurt the next morning. Bro. <laughs> no, yeah, but, but to your point, Joe, I, I get what you're saying. Look, and, and, and we kind of do it similarly when, when we're hug hunting and spotting stalking, we, you kind of try to keep an eye for, for natural trails that they have, you know, over the years kind of built. And, and usually that's kind of the path of least resistance for them. So. You know, when yeah, you're that's what you mean. Elk, use the use the elk sidewalks, man. Use the elk roads. Use the elk trails. I mean, mm-hmm. they know them. They use them. It's the best way to get from point A to point B for them. And uh, and generally, they're going to be down at the bottom of hills. Everything's a long way. As you start getting up higher on hills, things get closer. And these animals mm-hmm. have learned how to get from ridge to ridge without having to drop down and go back up. Now they'll do it, especially if they're trying to get away from people, but 
they know how to use the tops of those ridges and move around to get places a whole lot quicker. So yeah, use those elk trails, man. I, I'm telling you, they're, they're really good. But I don't think, you know, uh, I think more, I don't think it has anything to do with the deadfall, Drew. I just think it has to do with the fact that there's a reason they're not there, that they could be there five days from now. Yeah. And, you know, good point. yeah, yeah, it could always be that way. So next up, I think I have the next one. Is yes, sir. So Tim says, Joe, just like you, I wear hearing aids. So the second one with ear issues. But my hearing is really poor without. Trust me, mine is too. Um, but it really helps you sleep at night, bud. So we have some advantages. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's considered profound loss. So hearing elk is always on my mind. The terrain in northern BC is thick and elevated bands are not extreme where we hunt in a broad valley. So the way I'm picturing it is, you know, it's pretty much really, really thick and pretty much all on the same area with a little bit of rises here and there, but no real mm -hmm. high points. As Mountainous there. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, though, is when you say so, hearing elk is always on my mind. Tim, find you a hunting buddy with good ears. <laughs> that helps a ton man let me tell you because uh uh i can when elk are to i'm an elk hunting guide and you go wow man how do these guys feel about having a guy that doesn't hear so good well i do better with my hearing aids those help me out a ton um i also have hearing aids that kind of convert sound a little bit so even though it doesn't sound the same as what everybody else is hearing i'm still hearing a sound but I'm telling you, even as a guide with my clients, I go, look, we're a team. This is going to be a team effort. If you hear an elk, you're going to point in that direction. You're going to give me a best estimation. You can go way far and we'll start to get a gauge as we do this better. But once I get within a certain distance and sometimes depending on the air, I'm going to hear those animals. And once I'm locked in like that, then it's over with and things can, can go the way I want yeah. them. So for you, I would actually tell you if you it's you're actually better off hunting with a buddy. Um, so that's something to think about. Uh, if you become a good caller, even with a buddy, you can end up calling for the buddy. I mean, it can be a win-win for both of you. Okay, and it says we have a slotted hunt for late September, and in the elk woods are usually quiet, usually all September with the wolves that move in on all the elk talk. So with that said, I know elk still rut but pressure is high sounds are low and visibility is lower do you change any ideas you normally talk about yes so first of all let me tell you none of us have experience in wolf country um i've talked to friends that do so i'm gonna do the best i can with this so the tough part for you and me is that unless we have a partner with good ears, it's hard to pick out an elk in an area if they're using low audible noises. And elk in thick trees with wolves, they could be making noises, but they're doing low audible noises. And what noises are those? They're using chuckles. They're using moans. They're using groans. They're using glunking. They're using pan. Okay. They're using mews. They're using those things that inside the trees, and they might even do some small bugling, but in the trees, it's going to dampen it. On a windy day, you're not going to hear anything. You can be 400 yards on the other side of a ridge with thick trees or 200 yards over yeah. and not hear a bugle. Never hear That's a so interesting, Joe. So you're saying potentially 
the elk behavior as far as communication goes oh, may change depending on the predators that oh, surround them. Huh? That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Look, the rattlesnakes in South Texas aren't rattling anymore because of the hogs and everything. I mean, they they get to where, you know, the species are going to get to where they they adapt. And those elk, they, they know as soon as they sound off, you got a whole herd of wolves on you. I mean, mm. it's pretty adaptive for them, for them and their survival mechanism. Yeah. I so, mean, they ruined, they ruined the elk herd in Yellowstone. You know? Absolutely, man. And, and what I'm going to tell you, Tim, is this, is if you struggle with one sense you're hearing then you've got to make up for it with your other three yeah okay your nose your eyes right so i adjust my tactics in a situation i go back to hunting kind of how i started hunting Mm -hmm. i'm going to move through areas i'm going to be cow calling but i'm going to be using ever since my nose my eyes and my ears as much as i can and i'm going to be hunting crosswind man so I'm hunting so that I'm kind of crosswind down from areas where I think elk are. Yeah, you can so smell them. I can keep, yeah. I mean, turn right into them. Ask Chab, man. That's the first way we hunt them was we would smell the elk, turn into the wind, and hunt right into the wind, man. Yep. And, you know, using different senses, all right? Um, and when you do this, when you're just moving and cow calling, you've got to be looking for elk that are sneaking in. Uh, look for fresh sign. If you catch a strong smell of elk, then that's a good time to set up and maybe do a scenario where you're still and animals are going to sneak in on you. Here's the benefit. Here's the benefit of it. If, if an elk's not going to respond verbally and loud, they're going to respond, but they're going to respond by coming in. So you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to put on the scenarios like we just talked about in our last podcast, where you're set up and you're calling and you're having them come into you, where you can see them with your eyes and catch the movement and get an opportunity. Okay. So, but it also gives the, gives you the chance if the elk don't want to come in or you, you, you can hear them going further away, then it gives you the opportunity to now, potentially close in the gap, uh, close in the distance. But if you, if you don't set up and try to close in the distance when they're too close, chances are you're going to blow them up. Well, what I'm saying is, is there's going to be times because you, you, you haven't heard out because they're not being verbal or you're not close enough to hear the low sounds, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you get a strong smell of them and you've worked into the wind and you're still getting that strong smell, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you could actually at that point stop, do a setup. I got you. Just going, you're just talking out of smell, not sound. Right. No, gotcha. Right. I haven't heard a thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Well, I follow you now. But I've moved into the wind enough to know that I didn't smell urine on the ground. Sure. Sometimes yeah. you be walking and all of a sudden you smell elk and then after you start to move towards through the wind, you don't smell them anymore. It's because they just piss there and you've gone past it and so you're not smelling it anymore. Well, if you continue to work into the wind and you're still catching whiffs of them, you're not far from them. And yeah. that's when, Luis, you could blow them up if you keep going. Right. Uh, if you don't spot them first. So sometimes you could just set up there and do a scenario and try to bring them into you, especially in an area that is like he's talking about where it's flat because they're not going up to a particular mm-hmm. nation per se. They mm-hmm. might just 
bedding mm-hmm. down in that area somewhere. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, and you want to be careful too with your setup when you're calling because those wolves are honing in on that stuff. They, you want to keep you, you know, hopefully you're hunting with a partner or, but keep, keep vigil on watching your six, man, because uh, mm, those yeah, wolves are, yeah, they don't want to become the hunted. Mm, those formidable critters mm. for sure. Well, and, and I, I'll tell you this, man, when you're walking cow calling, um, you know, I've, it, it's a very, very freak thing to happen, but you, there are predators that come to cow calls, man. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's man. how Luis killed his bear. I've had yeah. friends that have had cougars come in, mm. uh, you know, um, in grizzly country, that's a good mm. possibility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you always got to watch your six. You always got to be looking and stuff yep. like that. And mm-hmm. if you have a partner, it's, it's helpful on that. Okay. So, Chav, why don't you get the last um, – anybody have anything to add on that one or – No, I think you covered no, it pretty well. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this, this one's from Jonathan, and it's talking about partners. Uh, what do you do when you're hunting with someone that you really like personally, but they won't improve themselves or their skill sets and rely on you to always be the one to find and bring in the elk? When they are not pulling their weight, when we are – when they're not pulling their weight. When we are not hunting, everything is great. When we are hunting, I'm always frustrated and developing a bad attitude. Can I can I can I respond to that one, Joe? Sure. No, 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 no. So so I I don't know I don't have experience on this. So I, I probably am not the best person to give you advice on this situation, but I can tell you how I deal with Monano. <laughs> and uh at the end of the day as my uh wise friend beto would say uh you just you just gotta deal with the guy because you love him um so you uh, fear and you do it anyway yeah i mean this this would be my advice again it's not like i know what you're talking about yeah. uh, but uh but no uh the truth of the matter is that communicate we yeah, we. I think. I think we all have different uh, pros and cons. I think all five of us. Now, all talking seriously, uh, all five of us have different uh, abilities and 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 different uh, weaknesses. And the beauty of our friendship and our team is the fact that uh, we've got come to understand each other's abilities and weaknesses and we've learned to compensate uh for for them so joe just we work on bettering those weaknesses yeah so and and joe just just mentioned one it's as simple as the hearing aid right i mean joe even with the 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 hearing difficulties is is still an incredible predator and can, can take any elk right but he benefits from our ears and, you know, we benefit from his knowledge and his calling and everything else. Right. And uh, so, and, and the same, you know, with Manano, Manano has got an incredible eyesight and incredible hearing in the woods and incredible woodsmanship. Right. And, but he's learning, he's, he's learning how to, how to call. I'm learning how to call as well. Um, you know, Beto is, is further along in, in that process and, and Chaff just understands 
animal behavior so good and it's got so talk much wisdom them, actually <laughs> the yeah. what just talk to them yeah, yeah. i mean so I, I i think i think your point is the fact that you know you don't see the the urgency in in your partner and wanting to become better and wanting to grow as a hunter um and i could see how that would be frustrating especially if it's affecting your hunt uh, so, uh, you he know, may be intimidated. He, he might be a little intimidated too, you know, so you might want to humble yourself just a little bit and go have a good conversation with him about, Hey man, I ain't trying to blow you up or anything, but you know, I, I talked with Jonathan about this and those oh, okay. conversations have happened. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where I think the frustration for him is coming in is that mm-hmm. he has been frustrated and has been developing a bad attitude, but really likes the person. Yeah. But it's um and they've had the conversations about that, but the person continues not to pull his weight that yeah, you know just keeps riding on it and 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 he said he's just a laid back guy, so he really doesn't <laughs> care. You know, so yeah. well, then he won't care if you move on find another hunting partner. Well okay so <laughs> I don't know, Chab, let me, let me hear wisdom from you, man. How would you deal with that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, it, a lot of it goes back to what uh, Luis is saying. You know, everybody's got their strong points and everybody's got their weaknesses. I think what, what, what we have been able to do ourselves is, uh, you know, we're there for, we're one, one for all and all for one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of us got better ears, some of us don't. Some are definitely better callers. Some of us aren't. Uh, some of us are superhuman in strength, like Manana and Luis. That can, yeah. oh, don't that can just drag an elk over their back, you know. But everybody finds their niche in the camp, you know. So, you know, I would say, uh, you know, find find a common point if you can. If you can't, then, you know, Invite another part, another partner to join your group, maybe, or you know. Yeah, the, I don't know really. So, um, I'm gonna kind of give you a little bit different answer, and it's it's. I think it really depends because, like, you take me and Chab. Me and Chab have hunted together. We're going on 40 years, and totally two different type people. But Chav, Chav could, we could split up, and Chav is solid on his own. We could be together, and we're solid together right? Mm-hmm. Um, it always felt like we were on a hunt, you know, but if at any point your hunt is turning into something that is pulling you down, hunting, not enjoyable. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if you're not enjoying yourself, yeah. not it's going to be enjoyable. If it's then having that discussion, look, it's, it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, uh, me and my hunting partner, Chav, it's, it's almost like a marriage, man. We understand each 100%. other, our, our weight. And if you're in something that's dysfunctional, I don't care if it's in, in your regular life or your job or something like that's that. That's very true. Yeah. It's time to make a change. And, and if this is somebody you care about outside of the hunting realm, it doesn't mean that you have to change that part of it. Yeah. It's, the friendship doesn't have to end. It's yeah. just, mm. it's just the 
partnership for hunting if, <laughs> if it's what's not working. Yeah, you have to take the guy and make barbecue, but don't go to the woods with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, look, I've had friends that I've hunted with over the years that I, I quit hunting with because it, it didn't, it, you know. It didn't work it, out. As well. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, Me too. Uh, I, and I'm picky, man. I'm picky about who's in my camp. You know, you're you're seeing me surrounded with these guys because these are incredible human beings. All of us, like they said, each of us has our weakness. But man, th- there is not a single person that is surrounding me this that is not passionate, that is not on uns- that is selfless. They're all selfless. They're all incredible hard workers. Um, they they live for the moment. Uh, we live for the camaraderie. We we've we've taking it to a whole different level if you find that man it's like it's Mm. it's golden and it's hard to get in this circle you know it's hard to get in this circle because you know expectations are up here yeah yeah i've you know i've brought a few guys into the circle a la luis and manano and um, you know, I've brought a, a few other guys in the circle too. I mean, you, Brendan's, you know, breached that, that our circle too. And he's a fantastic guy, another selfless guy. I mean, you know, we've had the mad Canadian Steve Tucker in our midst. I mean, uh, another really good dude. Um, but to get in our circle, you've got to be of that ilk, you know, you've got to be of that passion and, and and not wait for anybody else to do something, you know, look, I, you know, I'm not a co- as good a cook as Manano or Luis, but I promise you when them boys have been out all day, when they come back and, you know, they've either knocked something down or they haven't, we got lunch ready for them. Oh know? yeah. We got, we got a burrito made. Yeah. <laughs> we got some chili made. We got a burrito made for them. Or, you know, when they have knocked uh, down something, I we make burritos and bring it to them. I mean, we're going to take care of our brothers, you know? Oh, yeah. uh, and, you, you know, Jonathan, if this guy, I mean, you can like him all you want, man. Love him. I mean, he could be your brother, but it just ain't working out for you guys hunting together, you know? And that don't make him a bad fella. And it don't make you a bad fella. It just means that y'all aren't super compatible with the level of what where y'all want to be at uh, hunting. And like you, like Joe said, might be a good time for you to find you another hunting partner to invite into camp and you know uh, put old old boy on notice and say, hey man, look, you know, um, I, I've, we've had these discussions and I love you, man, but you know this is how this is how the cow eats the cabbage. Uh, some of those discussions, you better be prepared to lose a friend, though. You know, uh, it's just the way it is. I mean, the guy wants to hold it against you, he can. But chances are, if y'all got a good enough relationship, he can understand where you're coming from. Sometimes if you find, uh, a, you know, if you find an, another person that you feel that's going to contribute um, to camp and meet the levels of your expectations, you bring him over as the third wheel. And sometimes, yeah. And sometimes that you know that helps the other person realize you know that hey now it's not just the guy that uh, i have that confidence with and i i'm okay um where i'm at and i'm comfortable where i'm at now you got another person in there pulling their weight as well and that might trigger something that you know may may make him kind of be at the same level as well yeah you know manano and luis came into elk camp uh, Manano's first year, Manano did not have a elk tag. Nope. 
Manano came in tagless and just wanted to hang out. And it wasn't 45 minutes into him being in camp. Joe goes, we're inviting him back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, hell yeah, boy. Uh, Absolutely. You'll know, man, you know, when guys are right, when you, when they're not Jonathan, it sounds like to me, you know, uh, you just need a little push from a big O. I'm going to tell you, put the boot in his ass. Go find you somebody else. <laughs> Go find you somebody else you like to hunt with, son. <laughs> I'm not trying to be insensitive, brother. I'm trying to make light of a situation. Hey, who like knows, Joe man? Said, maybe, man? Maybe like his Joe friend is also like going to be better off, better off in, in another, with another hunting part, uh, partner as well, with not such high expectations. One thing is Chav and I have always been on the same page. He knows what I'm thinking. I know what he's thinking. Even though we're different in our capabilities, we're on the same page. Yeah. And yeah. If, 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 your, if your hunting relationship is making you angry in your regular relationship, then something's wrong, man. Mm. And, and that means y'all aren't really enjoying each other's company. And, and I tell you what, one thing that we love is just being up there in the hills together because we so enjoy each other's company. Yeah, yeah, man, I was actually, you know, sad when I couldn't get to hunt with all of you guys. You know, yeah. so I was super thrilled this year when I got when we Heck all got yeah. to go out together, man. That was kind of the highlight of my hunt. Well, and, you know, with us, you know, the, our camp has evolved. I mean, over the last five, six years, you know, we're doing a lot more video stuff now. I mean, we're getting a little more technical. Uh, you know, Hollywood's kind of entered so the camp some of a us, Some of us, some of Kevin, us, are, man. Some of yeah. us are getting more technical. Hollywood's kind of entered the camp. I mean, we have a few <laughs> different things that we, you know, that we're eyeballing now and, and stuff like that. And look, it's just evolved. And really hadn't like sat down and discussed it. We just all were like, yeah, man. And that sounds awesome. You know, let's go knock it out of the park. And so Elk Bros, you know, sp- spun out of something that was really small about 12, 12 years ago. And then it just started growing and growing and growing. And here we are today uh, bringing you this podcast and talking about our passion for hunting. But it's a passion for one another because, man, I know if, if, you know, if these guys need anything, you know, if I'm tagged out, man, I'm coming, you know, put the, put the strap on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you one good go. I promise you, you're going to get one good deal out of me. I might not be able to go back, but I'm going to give you all I got on that first one. And, uh, we, you know, we'll take two quarters and, and head out, uh, or, you know, they know that, man, if they need me to come call or whatever it may be, I'm, yeah. I'm there, man. I, and I'm with you, Luis, you know, I, I want to be in the middle of it. And so <laughs> again, that drives me physically to be able to keep up. And cause I, last thing I want to do is hold somebody back. You know, Jonathan, I can tell you one thing. I don't do buttholes, man. If no. people are selfish and they're just mm-hmm. regular you know, I, I, I don't surround myself with negativity. I surround myself with positive people um, that are going to make me better. And, and oh, that's yeah. right now. So. Well, yeah, uh, my, my father told me once, uh, you have to be in the wood with someone that is willing to fight the death for you. Dang, Skippy. Yeah. yeah. You might so, need, because you know, you're dang right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're alone. <laughs> there's a whole lot more stuff out there that can eat you that you can't eat i promise absolutely you. <laughs> and, and, and then if you, if you find yourself with an with a you know with a bottle with a 
I'll, I'll, I'll end gotta... it off tonight with a story then, man. I'll, I'll end it with a story about how much my brother Chav loves me, man, because we're, we're, <laughs> we're hunting and, uh, and we're going through this area. We're looking in, and I look out ahead of me, man, and I see this bear. And this bear's at the bottom of this tree, right? And uh, I, I, Chav, Chav, see that bear? And Chav's got a camera and everything, you know, so he likes to take shots. So let's, let's stalk this bear. And so we're out there about 80 yards, and we start moving into about 60 like that. And that bear's still around the bottom of the tree. And and uh, I look back and, and Chav and say, let's get closer. And, and so we start going up a little bit closer. We're at about 40 yards, man. And I turn around, look at Chav. And Chav's like looking around like this. Uh, yeah yeah. looking around like this man come on man let's get closer man so i start stalking up and stalking up like that i'm in about 18 yards to this bear and all of a sudden this bear goes he just he sits on his butt at the bottom of that tree and he goes (laughs) and then this dude in like seconds jumps straight up in the air, turns around against this giant pine tree and grabs a branch about 12 foot up in the air and just starts, man. Oh. And I'm like, Jeff, did you see? <laughs> <laughs> that was gone, man. <laughs> My kind of guy. <laughs> Jeff, he's, like, he's like, dude, I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just got to run faster than you. you. <laughs> no doubt, man. I, you know, similar, similar story. Me and the late Carl Gamage up on the red road one, we're easing up, got a bull screaming in our face, man. And I mean, it is going berserk. We think we got him coming. We make this little bend right here and we're going to try to set up. And all of a sudden I hear, I'm like, what is that? I turn and look up and it is a giant mama sow bear. And she has run these cubs up the side of this oh, tree, no. man. Ooh. And she is up there chomping her jaws. Pop, pop, pop. <laughs> like that. And those, those cubs are up there just kind of looking down at us. There was three of them, man. They're kind of looking down at us. And Carl goes, oh, Man, he, he didn't say, oh, man. He actually said, oh, shit. I mean, he's like, he, he goes, don't move. I'm like, man, dude, I want to run. <laughs> the bear is literally 15, 18 feet above me, you know. He goes, man, whatever you do, don't run. I said, what are we going to do? He goes, we want to back out of here real easy. I said, what about the bull? He goes, damn the bull. Let's go. He's like, we find another bull. This is this bear's country, man. So we had to back on out of there, man, and ease out of there. That bear was not happy, Jack. I'm talking not happy, you know. So, yeah. Uh, I've been with Chav when we've had a bear situation, too, and Chav's he showed me how to, how to run one of them off that was a lot bigger than us, you know. Uh, so, yeah, you got to be willing to have guys that will fight to the death with you, man. And I, There is not one of these guys that I wouldn't go to the wall with, I promise you. Yeah, if you thought I could take that bear, that's why you took off. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had the camera ready. <laughs> Chav was just looking for help. Yeah, when yeah, Jordan yeah. Tully was that, that bear jumped about the, the bear could have dunked a basketball. He jumped straight up and grabbed that 
that first wow. time. It was amazing. They are amazing creatures. And you get, you know, I know what Joe's saying because Joe got me in within 15 yards of one one time and he had his butt to us and he was feeding on some stuff in front of us. And Joe just kind of stuck his head up over eyes and he turned around and he looked at me and he goes, come here. And I came up there and I mean, it's like this big fat black blob sitting 15 yards in front of us. And he goes, he goes, that's a big bear. <laughs> like he goes, you don't have a bear tag, do you? I'm like, oh my God, no. I don't even want to look at this bear, dude. Let's just throw it away. Like Joe has this fascination with these bears, man. He wants to go up and get close to them. I'm like, dude, these things are, you know, I know people say they're like big raccoons, but they're not, man. They got big chompers and they like to eat meat. Muscles. Jonathan, we, we wish you the best with that, man. It's a tough situation, but uh, if you yeah. go by your heart and, and what you're feeling in your gut, man, and uh, – uh, we hope that works out. Gilbert, let's close this out, man. Absolutely, guys. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder to our listeners, if you would like your questions answered on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. Loved all the questions today, Joe. Plenty of topics coming up. Our, uh, our preseason stuff that's going to be hitting the, hitting the pavement next week is going to be epic. Y'all are not going to want to miss that stuff. Uh, it's awesome to have the Venezuelan Mafia in the house. Your elk hunting coaches did a fantastic job. You guys keep sending us those those questions and, and emails, and we love hearing from you, and we, we're blessed to have you guys. And like we say down here in Texas, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry, and we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Peace, and don't kiss your broad heads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>